In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin, and this is episode number 76, Common People. Common People. The commoners, you might <laughs> I didn't mean to go full-on queen, but that kind of sounds like something yeah. that the queen would say. Yeah. Commoners. We're going to entertain the commoners. Yes. That's not quite where, well, sort of. So the song that I chose for this week is by a band called Pulp, came out in 1995, And it tells the story of a young guy that meets a super rich girl who tells him she wants to live like common people and sleep with common people. So he takes her to a supermarket and tells her to imagine having no money. And she laughs. And the rest of the song is basically him saying, ha, there's no reason to laugh. (laughs) And there's some incredible (laughs) lyrics such as this. You'll never live like common people. You'll never do whatever common people do. Never fail like common people. You'll never watch your life slide out of view and then dance and drink and screw because there's nothing else to do. Boom. Those are some great lyrics. Yeah, it's a, it's a really great song. I will say there is also a version where William Shatner just says the lyrics over the song. Really? It's terrible. Oh, okay. I hate it. But sometimes it plays, you know, on uh, like stations that I listen to. And I'm yeah. Like, ah, no. Uh-uh. Ruined. Mm. I don't like it. Is it is it a universal held truth that William Shatner kind of does ruin things? I feel like he does. I don't. I'm just not a fan. No, I'm not either. No. And maybe that's generational. We didn't grow up with the original Star Trek. Yes. You know, we didn't. Yeah. You know. yeah. I'll blame it on that. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get 
the indicator there was like, I have some allegiance to future Star Trek. <laughs> I've never. I was a next generation yes, girl. Well, I yes. know you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I why the the reason why I chose the yes, song yes, this week. Yes. Um, I, I I was kind of thinking about like you know everyday people, working class, middle class people, just people trying to get by, and I mm-hmm. liked it for this week because I think right now, especially in our political climate, we're inundated with a lot of very rich people trying to speak for the common people. Mm -hmm. Um, I think often, too, some what you might call common people can feel very voiceless and maybe glom on to someone with a strong personality who they think might speak for them, but who really doesn't give a shit about them. Right. That's a really good point. Just a theoretical situation. I don't know if we have an example of that. Yeah, just a very, you know, just off the cuff. just, Just a, yeah. If... You are going to run a political campaign based on the common person, kind of like you were saying, for Mm -hmm. the common people Mm -hmm. or those who are just getting by. What would be the main tenets of your platform? I think my like catchphrase would be stop the shit. (laughs) 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 And I think I'd basically have two sort of things on my platform. One is like we need to have a safety net. Mm. We need to have and accept that we need a safety net. I don't think that our culture allows for that. I mm-hmm. think that, you know, if for some reason you can't have the American dream like we talked about a few episodes ago, it's your fault. Mm-hmm. You're not working hard enough. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs help sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we need a safety net. Second thing is we want community, not competition. We don't have ah. to compete with every single person. Yes. Which I think sometimes our system sets us up mm-hmm. to compete against each other. So then whatever anyone else's problems is, not my problem. Right. You know? Yeah. Either mine's more important. Yep. Or I don't have that. So you must have done something wrong and I'm doing things right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I feel like that happens a lot in female to female. Very much it's so. It's kind of set up for us to be at each other's throats. Which I think could maybe, you know, explain some of the voting patterns of, you know, women. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly white women. Um, but yeah, so my platform, stop the shit. Stop stop all the shenanigans and the tomfoolery that's going on right now. We're done. Think about actual real people that need some freaking help. Yes. Well, I would vote for you. Thank you. Yeah. I have no intention of doing that. No, but I don't want anything to do with politics. That's fair. It's gross. It's a dirty, dirty swamp. It's a dirty, dirty swamp. Mm-hmm. You know... Aaron, thinking about like mm-hmm. just how we like, I think you and I would consider ourselves kind of common people in yeah. some ways. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. We're not rich. No, we're no. not celebrities. No, no, we're not politicians. No, I mean we are semi celebrities because of our podcast. Oh yes, I was going to say that, but you know that's true. We're also just getting by most of the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't let it go to our heads. No, no. Besides my. Water having to be a certain temperature when we record. And besides that. Only being able to eat one food before (laughs) the podcast. (laughs) And getting used to a a gallery of, oh, they're not watching us anymore. Oh, we already lost them. (laughs) (laughs) When we started recording two of the podcasts were avidly watching Erin, waiting for what she would do. And now here we are in two or three minutes and they're asleep. They're like predictable. We've heard it. We're out. (laughs) Well, they were toughest critics. They are. And that's it. But I take the note. I take the note. Thank you. (laughs) I think social media plays a big role in like um, us defining ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, certain groups of people defining themselves. Mm -hmm. Do you think social media has to change the way that we view ourselves or each other? Like, you know, when it comes to money, when it comes to status, when it comes to what's important in life? Yes. 
And it's sad to me because I think that it's a tool that could have been used in a different way. Mm. I think there are times when it's a great tool for getting information out or for sharing a story or for people to feel connected and feel like there are other people like them or there are other people going through the same thing. I think that it has that power. But overall, when you have a tool that literally has something called influencers Mm -hmm. that are paid to convince you to look a certain way or buy certain things or react a certain way or do certain things. It's gone off the rails. And I think that a big part of the struggle, at least from the way that I see, is there's a lot of this idea of what you're supposed to have instead of being happy with what you have Mm -hmm. or defining for yourself what you want or what your happiness is as opposed to well if I don't have this this and this if I don't look like this this and this then I must not be succeeding yeah it's it's kidnapping our sense of success and telling you that this is how it should be and I think that filters down even to like a a micro level of having like the competition between parents or families or moms, you know, putting out these perfect yes. images of things. It's even on that level. Yeah. And that, you know, isn't beneficial either. Yeah. I think you're right that there's always been maybe a tendency to like compare ourselves to our neighbors, to our community, to like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even celebrities. But social media has made it so much more pronounced and more of a lie. Like yeah. the way that people present themselves is not reality. Mm-hmm. But we kind of just play along like it is. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we're all just common people just lying to each other just about how lying. perfect we are. Yes, and why? 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 Especially in this year. We got to no all doubt. admit this year sucks. It's so bad. We're just yes. struggling. We're trying to get by. Yes. Well, speaking of that, what habit or indulgence of the rich and famous do you find the most ridiculous? I, I've sort of mentioned this before. Stuff like goop. <laughs> Wellness brands mm-hmm. that are geared towards very wealthy women. Mm-hmm. But yet the implication is, well, you could do this too. You could buy an $80 vaginal egg and fix your life. Yeah. Or there's, I was listening to a podcast, there's a new podcast I've been listening to called Maintenance Phase that I really like and it uh, dissects just some of the weirdness about diet culture and wellness. Mm. There was a whole episode about Snackwell's cookies. Hilarious. A whole thing about the presidential fitness test and how messed up it was. Yes. There was a recent episode that was about moon juice. And I'd never heard of this, but it's apparently something out in California. It's like a a, a wellness like food shop. Okay. All these insanely expensive food things and juices and whatever. And the founder is one of those women that's just like, Yes, this is this is how life is supposed to be, you know, like you can buy $14 shakes every day and, you know, clean eat this way and be well oh, oh and fix gosh. fix everything in your life. Yeah, okay. And I hate it because it's so out of touch. It is. Both financially, mm-hmm. emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, mm-hmm. physically. Because mm-hmm. don't tell me you're not also working with a personal trainer. You're not also doing mm-hmm. some liposuction. Mm-hmm. But you're presenting this as the way to the world. They also sell stuff called brain dust. And sex dust. I don't really know what's in those dusts, but the idea of having dusty sex isn't very appealing. <laughs> what are they supposed to do? No idea. Okay. Just supposed to bless It's for your... wellness. It's for wellness, Aaron. It's to be well. Okay. And All you right. got to pay a shit ton of money yep. to be well. To be well. Yeah. yeah. That's what we've decided, isn't yep. it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? What do you think is like a, a habit or indulgence of the rich and famous that you just find silly 
it's in the same vein. I just have a serious problem with the presentation of acting like certain parts of their lives are what normal people have access to, whether that be being in shape one month after having a baby because you have a nutritionist and a cook cooking specific foods for you and working out and you have someone that can care for the child while you're doing all of these things. That's to me part of the problem. I mean, the bottom line is if you're rich and you want to spend money on stuff, I guess, whatever. Rich people being rich, do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you insist that, you know, you have to have a certain Starbucks drink every two hours and you can afford that, great. That's Mm -hmm. fine. Live your Mm -hmm. life. But my problem is when you present it as though this is normal. And it goes along with what you said. It's the body shaming. It's the, oh, I had liposuction. I changed my face. I did. If as a collectively, we all agreed that that was weird behavior, Mm -hmm. everything would look totally different. Some of all these body pressures and beauty pressures would go away, but we don't do that. Instead, we highlight that and we reward that. And then we're surprised when... We live in a superficial society. Yeah, that's a good point because it is so out of touch that all these very, very thin, very wealthy women are sort of presented as like, yeah, you could do this. When the majority, the common people Uh are, you know, plus size, they're like, you know, Mm-hmm. They don't have the money for... And if you follow science, it isn't that simple. It's no. not It's not a matter of just, if I do X, Y, and Z, then this is how I will present. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple. These people are manipulating things, and that costs money, whether they're doing that through surgery or through only eating certain things or working out a certain way. And I'm not just talking about, oh, I eat healthy and I run every day. I'm, these are extreme measures, because mm-hmm. that's what you have to do to override your body chemistry. Mm-hmm. And if we spent more time talking about, that's not what your body supposed to do that's Mm-mm. wrong mm-hmm. you're creating a lot of issues you know you i think that we would be surprised at how much pressure would be relieved for so many people yeah, and how much more time especially we women could dedicate to other things yes think about the amount of time you spend in a day thinking or the average woman spends in a day thinking about calories mm-hmm. or what they're going to eat or this doesn't fit right or i'm too heavy or mm-hmm. i don't like my eyebrows or my or, teeth oh aren't god i gotta enough. run to punish myself because i ate yes. too many oreos at lunch and yeah exactly uh-huh. oh i saw this person on instagram and look at yep. they've got a big gap between their thighs i need that like mm-hmm. if, you, if there's so much time devoted to that and if you devoted that time to something else yeah do you think that that like i'm trying to think of like now how we would define common people. Do you think like um, a, yeah. a lot of us would define that as a big part of common people life is constantly worried about yourself and like. I think so. Yeah. Wouldn't you have to? Yeah. Which is depressing. Because if you're the person that, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not a level of rich and famous that are doing the same thing, that are trying to oh, achieve sure. the same way. Yeah. But I also think there's that kind of upper echelon setting the mold for that. Like mm-hmm. the lady running Moon Juice who has decided that this works and she's doing it all and she's sort of filtering that down. Mm-hmm. And that message gets diluted. And when it gets down here, it's you're not good enough. Yep, You can't be healthy enough if you don't have the finances to do this you know so you're a lost cause yeah and it's out of touch with you know your biggest problem is some dust dust for sex Uh i mean let's talk about some real problems let's talk about systemic racism let's talk about inherent sexism let's talk about all the actual problems of the world yes versus your dusty sex your dusty dusty sex although that probably is a problem if it's dusty if it's dusty i don't know i don't know what's happening yeah i don't (laughs) I feel yeah, adding more though. dust. No. Also, nope. if you're having some situation in your sex life and you think going into a shop called Moon Juice and yeah. buying sex dust is somehow helping. Yeah. 
one you're sleeping with the wrong people because anybody <laughs> letting you do that i have questions <laughs> sprinkling sex dust somebody did that to so me, we I'd think like, your sexual partners yeah yeah uh-huh, uh-huh. that's suspect yeah and two maybe just maybe just google whatever problem you're having yeah <laughs> i imagine that the number one google result will not be sex dust it won't be no it won't be, it won't be. maybe just do some reading maybe maybe pick up come as you are <laughs> but the sex dust thing it's not good it's not great it's no not good. no Mm-mm. no yeah i think sometimes maybe you know us commoners Mm-hmm. Like we're always trying to strive towards these yes. unachievable ideals, which and we is think so we're going to get there, and then something's going to open up for mm-hmm. us. There's going to be some great path, and there's not a great path. Yeah, if you are buying sex dust, who knows what you're <laughs> buying next week? But it's going to be something else, stupid. I like that we're talking about this and have no idea what it actually. No, is. I don't either. It's just the name is terrible. No. Whatever it is, that name is. I bad. don't even care what it does. Uh-huh. I don't care if it's been proven to be successful. <laughs> it, terrible name. <laughs> terrible name. Rethink it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, so like I said, you know, we're talking about everyday people, Mm -hmm. working class, middle class. Um, There's another part of the song that I really liked because he's talking about like, you know, again, this guy is talking to this uber rich girl, very out of touch. And ultimately, he says, you know, still, you'll never get it right. Because when you're laying in bed at night watching roaches climb the wall, if you called your dad, he could stop it all. Mm -hmm. I liked that Mm -hmm. because a lot of us don't have that. That's why safety net. Yes. Anyway. Yep. Fiction. fiction. Should we go fiction? Yes. Okay. Fiction pick. Uh, my fiction pick for this week is called Pew by Catherine Lacey. Okay. This came out earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a small town in the South, a church congregation arrives and they find a person asleep on one of their pews. They can't tell if the person is a man or a woman. They can't tell if the person is black or white or another color. Um, the person who one of the families from the church takes in and names pew Hmm. because they found this person on a pew okay Hmm. pew is mostly silent Hmm. so the town spends the next week preparing for the forgiveness festival which sounds real creepy and you eventually see what the forgiveness festival is okay and, and and some of those feelings will be justified okay 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 um But as we're preparing for the Forgiveness Festival, Pew is sort of passed from one household to the next because no one really knows what to do with this person. Okay. And the townspeople that encounter Pew, um, maybe because they don't know Pew, maybe they just desperately need something, they need someone to talk to, they confess their fears and their secrets to Pew, who sort of, you know, listens and observes, but also may have this sort of strange ability to see into what they're talking about, see those memories, those feelings. Also, Pew, uh, people are trying to get Pew help because they think there might have been some trauma. You know, they they think there's something strange going on and, and they have good intentions. They want to help mm-hmm. this person. Um, but as days pass, the idea that people can't peg Pew by gender, by race, it's deeply uncomfortable mm-hmm. for the people of the town. They they don't know because they don't know if Pew is a man or woman or because they don't know if Pew is black or white. They don't know how to treat Pew, which is a problem in and of itself. Uh. So with that uncertainty and with the fact that Pew isn't really speaking, people around start to change and sort of danger grows, suspicion grows, like it's starting to get Mm -hmm. really tense and it all comes to a head at this festival. So there's this very real aspect to the story, sort of informed by some of our modern world and the concerns that we have. But it's also sort of feels like a fantasy or like a fairy tale, a fable of Mm. some kind. Mm -hmm. And I chose it for this theme because it's a small town. 
and, you know, what you might call common people. Yes, but I especially like how Catherine Lacey, the author, talks about what we cling to, like the conventions that go along with gender, Mm -hmm. with race, with how people should be. And I think in a lot of ways, that maybe defines what common people are today. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much uncertainty in our lives. There's so much uncertainty around money, around health, Mm -hmm. around fucking 2020. (laughs) That we maybe cling to, we grab tight to, sort of those traditions of what makes a person and what makes them worthy. Mm -hmm. And this can cause some real damage. We don't see people inherently as beings deserving of dignity and respect. Mm -hmm. We see types. We see tiers of people. We see stereotypes. So I think this book sort of explodes that notion of what is common Mm -hmm. and we need to break out of it. I, I think there's so much more here. There's a lot of stuff about gender, about race, and about white American common people sort of grappling with it in our history. But overall, it's just a really good story, too. And you get... Uh, sort of carried along by some of these secrets that are told. You start seeing the town in all its complexity and all its hypocriticalness and all of the, you know, stuff no one wants to mm-hmm. talk about. Uh, so, yeah, really wow. interesting. I've never quite met a character like Pew before. Yeah. And, yeah, I think Pew will stick with you. Interesting. That mm-hmm. sounds good. Mm-hmm. I hadn't heard of that. Kind of piggybacking on that same idea of maybe defining what common people are or even people getting by. Um, This one is relatively new. It was published in September of 2020. It's called Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Anxious People. Is that about us? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There's a whole chapter, Uh, one called Aaron and one called Amy. (laughs) (laughs) And then is there a third chapter that's like the rest of the world? Because anxiety is the common... It's common people today. Yes. I think. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just Agreed. Agreed. Yes. So um, early on, I recommended his book, Bear Town. Mm, okay so this is a yeah. di- very different feel hmm. it's, uh, to me it just had a different feel from this author but i i, I really enjoyed it um it opens with a narrator that's going to basically take the reader through this adventure that all starts at an open house for an apartment that's being sold so sometimes you're kind of watching the action and sometimes you're in with the characters figuring out what's happening so right at the beginning we learn that a failed bank robbery has taken place and the bank robber has rushed out through the nearest open door, which led them into an apartment complex and they see an open door at the top, so they rush in. Now, they happen to have a gun out because they were trying to rob a bank and when they go in, they realize that the apartment is full of people looking at it to sell it and including a real estate agent. (laughs) And they slam the door and realize they've created a hostage situation. Oh my God. Without really meaning to. So... The story progresses from there, and pretty soon we're starting to realize that this is a real interesting cast of characters that is in this apartment building. Um, And we're learning that through, like, we see their police interview transcripts after the incident is over. They're all being interviewed in the police station. We see that. Um, We see it firsthand through the two police officers that are dealing with the incident during and after We see inside the apartment what takes place. But there's this whole cast of characters in there that we learn are related in different ways. Um, Not necessarily that they all knew that, but we find that out. And while the premise seems kind of dark and serious, like it's a hostage situation, it's actually oddly humorous. (laughs) Like the bank robber frequently says that they're the worst group of hostages ever. Because these people just dissolve into fighting at the drop of a hat. (laughs) They all have their own kind of purpose for being there and they're not able to shut out their own anxieties or own insecurities long enough to realize that they're in imminent danger Mm -hmm. so they're sort of at each other's throats about it um 
And to me, the whole book is sort of this like slice of human experience. Like even when we're in extraordinary circumstances, people are who they are. Mm -hmm. Like the core is there. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's kind of the definition of a common person, right? You're, you're living your life, you're getting by, you're doing day to day. And no matter where we pick you up and put you into, some of the things about you are still going to be the same. Mm -hmm. And that's really what we see here. And we see a whole lot of people who are just trying to get by. I mean, we've got an older couple that's in retirement that's flipping apartments. And so they've got their own reasons and they're struggling in this part of their life. We have an elderly woman who just goes to open houses because she's lonely. We have another lady who is incredibly wealthy and has no interest in buying the apartment, but goes because she likes to see how common people live. (laughs) And admits that, you know, there's and there's others. I want to live like common people. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the whole way it comes together, it's really funny, but it's also really emotional and it really pushes you forward. I will admit that I cried quite a few times during this book. Yeah. Which like isn't necessarily unusual, but it is in this book because I probably laughed out loud just as much. So it's, it's a real like roller coaster back and forth kind of balance of this situation. And to me, that's kind of the life experience right mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. and ups and downs and you're happy and you're sad I mean, and that's common you're that's dealing it. with what comes at you yeah and that's all you can do you didn't go that day thinking you were going to get in a hostage situation sure but didn't. here you are yeah and the police interviews are just <laughs> some of the stuff in there is just great it's so great <laughs> and though you find out it, it's a small town that this takes place in mm-hmm. um and you find out really quickly that the two police officers are father and son. So there's a whole dynamic there that's going on. And it's, it was great. I read it very quickly. Wow. Yeah. Laughing and crying. Laughing and crying. And this is also another rare double pick. It is. It is. Yes. Wow. I was really excited when I saw that it was coming out and I had put it on the list at the library and I got it and I read it in the same day I got it. Holy crap. And I know the reason that I just kind of wanted to start it and I just couldn't stop. Wow. I know. It's that really sounds like great. one that you might be in a book hole afterwards. Like you couldn't quite yes. get it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. a little bit weird because you yeah. had so many emotions and you feel tied to the people. It's one of those where you kind of want to know where are the characters now? Like what are they up to? <laughs> what are those crazy characters doing? What I also doing? like about this book is that it challenges, kind of like Pew, some ideas that we hold as normal. Yeah. Like some gender roles. Yep. And you'll see that in some ways that some information comes out that even as the reader, I didn't expect because my mind took me a certain place mm-hmm. and I never thought to question it. So there's some really interesting twists in that way that'll make you think, oh, geez, I just assumed the opposite. Wow. So, yeah. That sounds really good. It is. It's really interesting. It also made me think, how do you think we would do in a hostage situation? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm shot first, right? I mean, there's no... I want to say that I'd be all right. I'm going to try and ghost, but I won't be able to ghost. No, I won't be able to get no, out of there. I feel like our first instinct would be very pleasing. Yes, that's true. And we would be very obedient so and do very, everything. Very, I think 12 hours in, I crack. Oh, and God, I'm just yeah. like, I'm done with this. Just If you're going to do it, do it. Okay? Because I can't live like we this. Would be. We yeah. would be. We would be like the ones that they don't quite expect Yeah. to suddenly freak out. Yes. Which we would. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or we would take it too far and be like, listen, I will meet your demands, but you better get some food in here fast. Seriously. And I mean some good food. Oh, that's a good point. Because after a few hours, if I'm not eating, mm-hmm. I am going to turn bitch. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want any of this weird stale bread. I uh-uh. get some real food in here. And I'm going to demand that it be vegan. Get yeah. me some vegan stuff me or I am going to be stuff. your worst hostage yes. ever. Ask 
whoever you're negotiating with on the outside <laughs> to get some food delivered. Yes. Peronto. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. I think that would be my biggest concern if I don't eat enough. Yes. Or if my tum-tum gets upset from all the yes. anxiety. I know. I know. I mean, what happens if you start having a heaves gate in a oh. hostage situation? Well, then. Not You're really g- They're going to shoot you. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Me. No one's going to put up with that. No. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. she keeps puking. There's nothing else to puke up. I, I think she's sick anyway. Yeah. We're just going to put her down. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know our limits. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely going to be one of them. It sure is. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it's interesting that you said or that we were sort of talking about book holes because mm-hmm. after reading this book, I was in one. And Ooh. this week I've stopped and started multiple books afterwards because oh. I was like, it's just, it's, not it's just same. not this. Oh, that book holes. We don't talk about that we a lot. We don't talk about it enough. But which is kind of a, a pain because I know that I started books that have been objectively called very good, like yes. the big things that were coming out this fall. And I just wasn't in the headspace for it. I right. wasn't in the mood. Mm-hmm. And so I probably missed out on some good stuff. Yes. But that's where I was. I know. I do. I have done that too. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll just leave it on my list and come back to it later if mm-hmm. I feel like maybe I'll be in a better space. But book holes are a very real thing. They are a real thing. We talk about show holes. Yeah, we have talked about show we holes. We don't often talk about book holes. Mm. Book holes are a problem. And we both had one this week. We did. What was yours after? Well, it's from a book that I think is probably one of my favorites from this year. And it's an essay collection, which is interesting because really? I'm not usually a big essay okay. collection okay. reader. Okay. But this book was recommended to us from Carter Sickles when we talked to oh, Carter. Oh, yeah. It's called Tomboy Land by Melissa Falavano. I've been wanting to read this. And like I said, essays, maybe not typically my jam, but right. this was... I felt like this was sort of about me, about oh. or for me, for us, wow. but for all of us too. Okay. And maybe part of it is because it's about the Midwest. Mm. So Melissa, the author, grew up in rural Wisconsin, and her essays are about growing up here in the Midwest, living here, being a person here. And, you know, as we've said before, we're living in Iowa. Mm-hmm. We've grown up in Iowa. Mm-hmm. I lived in Chicago for a while, but all Midwest, mm-hmm. all the time. So... I think this book sucked me in right away because the first essay is about tornadoes and what happens when tornadoes come, when they threaten, which I've always been terrified of tornadoes. Even now as a 43-year-old woman, if I hear a tornado siren, there's a part of me that just (laughs) breaks Yeah, and I lose all logic and I just kind of, you know, huddle. Because it's terrifying. It is terrifying, yes. I think the fact that nature can rear up and be so devastating Mm -hmm. is terrifying and it should be. Mm Mm-hmm. So the, the, the first essay, like I said, is about uh, tornadoes and how it missed her town growing up, but destroyed the next town. So it was a very strange like experience oh. to see that. Then Melissa writes about being a woman in the Midwest, how growing up, like girls should be girls and boys should be boys. But at the same time, we're all sort of working out of necessity. We're all, you know, mm-hmm. sort of working class, middle class, and hard work is expected of everyone, no matter gender roles. Mm-hmm. And she talks about in another essay, like, uh, being a, being different. You know, what if you grow up with these gender roles, you grow up in the Midwest, but you don't have kids? Mm-hmm. That's expected of Midwestern girls. And it's mind-boggling to many people when you don't. Uh, what happens if, you know, you grow up in the Midwest and, like me, you're not heterosexual? You know, Melissa talks about being bi, about how it's such a strange, disputed identity. And the way she writes about it, how here, especially in the Midwest, you're one thing or another. Mm. You can't be more than one thing. Mm-hmm. That's a very hard concept for people to understand. So yes. it's one reason why there is such a thing as sort of bi erasure, where a lot of people don't think that it really exists or mm-hmm. that it's just a phase. 
Um, and what happens if you move away? She lived in Wisconsin for a long time, but she moved to New York. And there she has to really grapple with class for the first time where she sees real wealth, like real Ivy League type wealth, mm-hmm. and then can see how different it was in the Midwest. Um, I think her her essays also dig into a lot of political stuff. She writes about guns being part of life here and her sort of you know conflicted feelings about that. Um, she writes about being androgynous and hard to pin down and what mm. labels like gender queer mean here. Mm-hmm. She also she writes about how in the Midwest there's a silence that we carry. Like we don't talk about things. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. we don't talk about problems like grief. We don't talk about mental health. You suck it up, you move on, or otherwise you're weak. Mm -hmm. And I felt like this was one of the rare cases that really described that feeling well. Yeah. You know. Um, There's so much more here, including why we all drink so damn much. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Why there's a thriving underground of kink. Um, the violence of men versus women and much more. It, it's so, wow. so many interesting themes. And the reason I chose it for this episode yeah. was, I think maybe because we grew up here, common people to me are Midwesterners. Yes. You know, yeah. um, we, e- even when I moved away to Chicago for many years, it's still the Midwest. It's still very much of this particular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of problems with what we define as common here. But what I really like is something that Melissa said. She said, a less excuse me, especially after the 2016 election, people on the coast began to talk about Midwesterners as if they were nothing more than uneducated, gun-toting rednecks. So Mm. I like that because it was a starting point for her. It was like, I want to show a little more complexity. I want to show more nuance here. And, you know, there's elements of truth in that. But there's also elements that, you know, doesn't get represented by Mm. that one statement. I like that... Melissa writes about the things that make her uncommon Mm -hmm. while still sort of identifying with and explaining what common might be. And I, I love it so much. There's so many times I was reading it and I was like, holy shit, this is inside my head. This Mm -hmm. is me. This is like, and also I want to be her friend. Yeah. Because I think she gets us. Yeah. So it was a fantastic read. It was really unique i don't think i've read anything like that that captures this strange place that we call home and that we've grown up um something else i've read this week has talked about the midwest as a place that you maybe grow up in but then move away from and so the people that you know that stay a lot of people may not understand us right or you know Mm -hmm. And I think especially with political discussion. So I I, th- I thought it was fantastic. It was interesting when you were talking at the beginning and then talking about political. It made me think of a political ad that was running recently for a Senate race that was here in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And the candidate said on air, and this was like widely accepted, you know, they were both farm candidates. So they mm-hmm. both grew up on the farm. And one of the candidates said, you know, my dad always said, there's no boy jobs, and no girl jobs. There's just jobs. Mm-hmm. And I don't think if you're not from the Midwest, you don't understand how work can be non-gendered, yeah. but everything else is very... Very gendered. Yes. I mean, she's still talking about, you know, you go into a church basement and there's casseroles and hot dishes, and that's what women do. Mm-hmm. Women take care of that stuff. They have the babies. But at the same time, mm-hmm. we all got to work hard. We're mm-hmm. all, you know, nobody's going to take care of you here. Yeah, you. I, I feel like stories abound of from people about female relatives that were, you know, working the land or were did this or did that while, you know, to help yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And that's accepted. But then it's also not accepted that, you know, it would be reversed. Yeah. 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 
which is one of the many complexities I think about this particular area, yeah. maybe our entire culture, but especially in the Midwest. Yeah. And yeah, I've just never seen anybody write about it so succinctly and beautifully and Man, you're just, you're drawn along for the ride. Well, you know what? I saw it on your steps and I was going to ask yes. you how it was. And now I just well, found so out. Well, so what happened is I got it from the library and I loved it so much I had to buy, buy a copy. It. So you're welcome to borrow it if you'd like. That happens a lot. It happens it? a lot. It does. Yeah. I'm like, like well, I now have I have to have, have, have one. <laughs> I have to have it in my hands. <laughs> yeah. I have to display it. Yes. Yes. yes I want to have this. Yeah. And what was great is the library copy was paperback and I got a hardcover. Ooh. That's cool. always gratifying. Yeah. Very gratifying. Hmm. Well, the book for the other genre this week that I picked is also hot off the presses, oh. as in November 10th. Oh. I know. Holy shit. November 10th? I know. Today is what? The 15th? I know. Today is November 15th. You I got this five days ago. Flew through it. Okay. I flew through it, and I loved every second. It's called The Office of Historical Corrections, a novella and stories by Daniel Evans. Um, I think I, I think something recommended this to me. Yeah, yeah, maybe Goodreads or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it so like I said, it was just published. It's a set of short stories that deal with a variety of themes, race, culture, and most notably the novella, which is the title, "The Office of Historical Corrections." It deals with history and what the American people have done with history over Ooh. time. So, this book truly embodies everything I love about short stories. So first of all, there's an interesting storyline that keeps you moving through each one. There's characters that you connect with, which I always think is a feat in a small amount of pages to get someone to buy into your character so hard is, I think, a very important skill. And I don't think everyone has it. Mm -hmm. I think that's very unique. Um, I love that there's simplicity and complexity in the same stories, that the story itself might be straightforward, but the themes or feelings, the thoughts you're left with are sort of this other earthly thing, like you keep thinking about it. Um, and I raced through the book, and at, e at the end of each story, I wanted more. Like, I wanted to know more. Ooh. And that's not a criticism, because sometimes that can be oh, a criticism yo, of short stories. That can be stories. a great thing. Yeah. It's just truly a testament to the skill at which these stories were created, that you're that invested. So a couple of my favorites. Um, one is called Boys Go to Jupiter. And a college student goes on spring break to visit her father in Florida. And a boy that she's not really seeing, but just kind of messing around with while she's in Florida, gives her a bikini to wear and it happens to be a confederate flag bikini oh and she doesn't take a picture of herself in it this guy does and posts it on his facebook and tags her oh god and back home at college her hallmate sees it and says puts it on her own social media and is like look at this my hallmate just posted this gross like and it blows up oh god this whole situation becomes viral before she can even get her mind wrapped around what it means what how she really even feels about yeah. it she really didn't even care but now she's in the middle of this very interesting where that mm. story goes um another one that i loved was called why won't women just say what they want <laughs> and this because we can't no and this is the genius of this story i'm not gonna lie to you i read this one three times oh my I was, god yeah i kept thinking i gotta what about this? I would come back to it because this is an artist who has wronged pretty much every female he's ever had contact with in a Ooh. variety of ways. And so all of a sudden, they're not sure if it's an artistic venture or he's really sorry, but he starts doing these public apologies, like oh, no. a pop-up bar pops up with an apology written all over the wall. Or, um, you know, it's on the side of a bus. Like, they're all public, but they're also very specific to the person that he's apologizing to. Huh. And the first round goes, and then the second round of apologies comes. 
and you still aren't sure if this is an artistic venture. And then you get there that he it is sort of an artistic venture and that's how the story ends and it's super fascinating how it ends. But that whole story you have an idea which I think we've talked a lot not enough, but that we've talked a lot about this year, the Me Too movement. Yeah. Things like that. You have that and it's just presented in such a different way. Yeah. And it brings up the way that the story ends brings up such an interesting point about all of it that I hadn't in all my reading this year really seen done that way. Ooh. Really great. Um the title of the book in the novella, The Office of Historical Corrections, takes place in an office that was created by a young go-getter congresswoman who wants to make sure that, especially in D.C., history is correct. So their office is literally tasked with walking around D.C., and if they hear a conversation, they, you know, like by a monument, they say, oh, no, no, it was actually this. Or like, (laughs) let's say that they see a store or something that is using some part of history to sell things but not being honest about what it is. Then they issue a little correction with a little seal oh my so like an example is someone um was advertising a cake in a bakery for juneteenth uh-huh. but is advertising what juneteenth was incorrectly so they go in oh, oh. and they're very polite and they explain it and they put a little note on the sign the office of historical corrections uh-huh. corrected this <laughs> i mean the premise is genius it's <laughs> fantastic so but great. i can see so many people just being angered by being corrected. Right. Yeah. And that's where it goes. Mm-hmm. And you learn about all the guidelines that they're trying to live with mm. under so that they aren't making people angry. Um, and really is what the, with all those guidelines, is what they're trying to do really actually achieving what yeah. they're trying to do. It's very, really great read. Ooh. Super great. So I picked it for this week because I think it's great short stories that really uh, weave in relatability and connection so that mm. you feel connected to these people. But it's also people just trying to get by. They're living their everyday life and these things are happening and they're common people. We're not dealing with, you know, great big lofty, you know, politicians creating policy. We're talking about a woman who's doing this job in the Office of Historical Corrections because she believes in it Mm -hmm. and gave up a different career track to do it. It's people that have their own interest and are working and it's what happens when something extraordinary happens to an ordinary person. Wow. Yeah. It's great. They were terrific. And you read one of them three times. I did. That's fantastic. I just could not. I kept, I would read it and then I would go on and I'd do something else. And I'd think back and something else would occur to me like, wait a minute, did I read that right? Oh, wow. And I'd have to go back because I would, that one really stuck with me for whatever reason, but. That's fantastic. Yeah, they're they're really good. She's an incredible writer. Yes. That's some speed reading. I know. I didn't expect you that fast, but it was just that good. Wow. Mm-hmm. Sounds very good. And I had to bring it to you right away. I was going to save it, but then I was like, no, this is perfect. For you had this to bring week. it to our listeners immediately. I, I was like, this is just too perfect it's for too right perfect now. It's too perfect for common people. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, pop culture wise. Yes. Um, so if you remember a few episodes back, I recommended Unfinished Short Creek. Yes. And that was actually the second season of this podcast called Unfinished. Right. So this week I'm recommending the first season, which is called Unfinished Deep South. This is a 10-part series, all done, so easily binged. And it starts with the investigation of a lynching in 1954 in Arkansas. There was a landowning black farmer named Isidore Banks who was kidnapped, tortured, chained to a tree, and set on fire. As often happened with lynchings, 
and was often the point, actually, the rest of the black community was terrified. Mm-hmm. And his, nev- his family never figured out who did it. Mm. But immediately after, the white authorities of the town seized the farmer's land, seized Isidore's land, all 1,000 acres of farmland, plus his trucking business, his cafe, all his other assets. They claimed it for themselves. So the podcast then investigates this murder, mm-hmm. this lynching, and they talk to local people. There's still some people around who remember this. There's family members. There's people in the town, people who would hear stories back in the past. They leaf through county archives. They find all sorts of clues and evidence pointing to what really happened. Mm-hmm. So it's a true crime podcast, but it's also sort of an examination of our racial history mm-hmm. and some of our present, I think. And I chose it for this theme because I think lynching – was something that was a marker of common people for a long, long time. After the Civil War, it became a way for white people to keep control, to keep power. And throughout the 20th century, up to and including the civil rights era of the 50s and 60s, it made this real big, powerful insurgence because the more gains that black people would make, Mm -hmm. the more violence and murder would result from white people. So I think there's a... There's a case to be made that for a long time, and maybe still, uh, white common people believed in lynching, and such that there it would be public events. These mm-hmm. would be spectator sports, like thousands of people come to attend and watch this lynching, mm-hmm. because it's an educational tool both for white people and for black people. Yeah. Um, I think uh, what this podcast is also showing is that black common people have just been living under terror and constant threat. And induced to stay poor and powerless because when someone like Isidore did well, despite the system stacked against him, it was all taken away violently. Mm-hmm. So one of the hosts calls this podcast the unfinished business of race and violence in this country. Mm. And I think while, you know, formal lynchings have faded, mm-hmm. um, I think uh, the, a case could be made that a lot of white common people still believe those beliefs mm-hmm. and have the urges to stay dominant no matter what. Right. I think that results in a lot of the systemic racism we still see, mm-hmm. results in a lot of police violence, results in Trump. Mm-hmm. So I think listening to this podcast really helped me kind of see the historical basis for today, mm-hmm. as well as really dove into the topic of lynching, which I don't think we learn about in school. Mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, we maybe have a real sense of how vast this issue was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a super gripping just story overall. And you learn a ton. Mm. It's a, uh, it's something. It also ties into, you remember we uh, talked about Just Mercy and the Equal Justice Mm -hmm. Initiative. Mm -hmm. There's a part of the episode or part of the podcast that ties into their lynching museum, which they launched. Great. Okay. So interesting tie in. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I knew you said you were maybe going to recommend that later. So I did. And Mm -hmm. I keep my promises, Erin. You do. You listeners, I keep them. Keep, I keep my promises. When I I remember. I got to say, though, when I remember them, when I remember the promises, that's then I keep them. That's, yeah. that's that's fair. There's a case that I forget a lot of what I say. That's fine. So I, I may promise too. stuff and then just be like, wait, was that me? That's how my kids get away with a lot of things. You said, and I'd be like, ah, maybe I did. I, did I don't know. I? When did you ask me? Was I reading something? Was I watching something? Yeah. Then yeah. I probably did agree. Yeah, yeah. I probably okay. did. Yeah, okay. I probably wasn't listening, but I promised. But so I, promise, I got to so stick to my promise. I will keep it. Yeah. I will mm-hmm. keep it. So for pop culture this week, I um, am recommending a documentary. It's not um, super new. It was released in 2011. It's called There's Something Wrong with Aunt Diane. Mm. And um, I watched it on HBO. I think that's where it was released. So I'm not sure if you can get it somewhere else but it 
examines the 2009 Teutonic State Parkway crash in New York State, mm. which was a huge deal there. Um, that this woman, Diane Schuler, ends up driving the wrong way on Teutonic State Parkway and gets in a horrific accident, and she kills herself, her daughter that was in the car, oh. three nieces that were in the car, oh. and her son was also in the car, although he survives. And she runs head on into another car and kills the three men that were in that car. Holy it shit. It is horrific. And the some of the pictures from the scene, it's awful. So... Um, her son, Brian, like I said, survives, um, but he's in intensive care. I mean, it's touch and go here. He has a severe brain injury. And everyone is sort of left going, how did this happen? Like, what mm. happened? She had her daughter in the car. She had her nieces. They were leaving a campground. Her and her husband had had her nieces, their kids. They were camping for the weekend. Her husband left. She said, I'm going to stop at McDonald's, get the kids some food, let them play a little bit, and then we're following. So it should have been like a half-hour trip. And four hours later, they still... They didn't realize what was happening. Ugh. So what comes out about nine days or a few days after the crash is the um, medical examiner comes out and said that she had a blood alcohol content of 0.19, which is the equivalent of 10 drinks. Oh. And she had high levels of THC in her system. And immediately her family is flabbergasted. Her husband's like, no, she doesn't. She barely drinks, much less 10 drinks in the morning in a car when she had all these kids. And all of these people that know and love her are like, there's no way. She would never endanger her kids. She would never do this. She would never do this. Um, and one of the loudest people saying that is actually her sister-in-law. So her brother's husband's wife, who happens to be named Jay. And she is just, she is fighting the fight. She's like, this isn't right. Something went wrong. The medical examiner got this wrong. Or there's a medical condition that's mimicking this. I mean, they're grasping at straws. They're like, this isn't right. And partially because some of the kids, one of the oldest nieces was able to make a call to her father and say, which... That father and mother were not in the documentary of the three kids that were killed. Okay. Those are their only three children. They lost oh, them. I mean, you God. can understand that that would be horrific to relive. Yeah. But was able to call them and say, there's something wrong with Aunt Diane. Like, her head hurts. She can't see. And that's all. And then Brian said the same thing. Once he came out of the coma and he was getting out of intensive care, he said, I don't know what happened. Mom couldn't see. Oh, my God. So there's these things that are being... So now they're thinking, okay, there's something medical, and they're grasping at straws. They pay a private investigator, and he doesn't follow through. They, All of these things that they're sure, it's not right. So the documentary takes you through their fight of trying to wrap their heads around this horrific accident, figure out if it was something medical, and this feeling that they knew this person, so they want her name to be cleared. Mm -hmm. But... I picked it for this because it's really just a family yeah. at the most heartbreaking time dealing with a horrible public backlash because this mother appears to be a drunk and yeah. all of those. And you killed know. all of her family. Yes. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And I'm not, I'm going to tell you right now, the, it doesn't give you a lot of answers. Um, you know, I won't tell you how I felt at the end of it, but it's, I liked it for that reason. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a, you know, like Dateline style, we're going to tell you who did it. And yeah. here's the, you know, anything like that. It's, it leaves you with questions and it leaves you with that feeling of, 
oh, that would be, I don't know what I would do. Because, yeah. you know, Mike and I talked about it a lot. And like he said, for me, I'm I'm not a very big drinker. And he said, if you were in a horrific car accident and they told me that you had a blood alcohol point one nine, I wouldn't know. I would no say way. no. Yeah. No, she had kids in the car. There's no way. Yeah. And this is morning, remember. Mm-hmm. Now they find a vod- vodka bottle in the car. I mean, there's all mm. kinds of things that go down that you kind of move back and forth in the you documentary. You start wondering if there was a double life or something. Yes, yeah. and you fall over here and then you fall over here and then you... So very interesting. I think it's a great look at something that happens and being thrust into the public, but just being a person that's trying to get by. He's mm-hmm. trying to keep his family together. This sister-in-law is trying to do good by her family and help this little boy who lost his mom and help clear his mom's name. And the amount of pressure that they're under while they're just trying to... I mean, they're still working and raising other kids Ugh. and... Just a really interesting documentary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting that it, it kind of comes down to legacy and what they want a family member's legacy to be, which I think is very much what you might consider just normal everyday people wondering how, mm-hmm. you know, how am I going to make my mark on the world, mm-hmm. whether it's my family, whether it's my good yeah. deeds, whether it's whatever. And she was very accomplished in all rights. She had a very high level executive job. She was the main breadwinner. Mm-hmm. Um, she was incredibly good at it. Everyone liked her. Mm-hmm. Um, she was very involved. Mom did everything with the school you know always volunteering bringing the stuff her kids were always at school early perfectly hygiene you know great no signs of anything Mm -hmm. here and they do interview the family of the three men that were killed too and um some of their take on it is is interesting to think how much how they must feel too on the other side and they said that they had forgiven her because obviously they believe you know the medical examiner Mm -hmm. they believe her um but they are very angry with the family for fighting it Ooh, which is an interesting that is yeah very interesting so like i said there's a lot of things here that just you're really interested just in watching people react to something that's difficult yeah and it puts you in that position where you think gosh what would i do i don't know do you think that's why shows like dateline are so interesting Mm -hmm. because it is just normal people that suddenly the worst happens. Well, don't you think that we all have things in our lives that we can't explain? There's yeah. all situations. We've all been in situations that we can't really explain why someone took an action they took or why something happened the way it did. So there's almost comfort in knowing that everybody goes through that. Yeah. So seeing something on Dateline, seeing a family go through that maybe makes you feel like, oh, yeah, I mean, I've been through something difficult or yeah. I've had this or that. It mm-hmm. Not so much that we like seeing other people's pain, but... The idea of realizing how widespread it is that, and maybe the ability to like still go on afterwards, yes, yes. you know, because mm-hmm. that's that's all we can do is still mm-hmm. go on. To, so to see some people doing that mm-hmm. may be therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, it's a good one. I'm going to ask you as soon as we get off air how you really felt about okay. that. Afterwards. And I will tell you. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> but I won't tell you, listeners. You have to watch it. You have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we talked a lot about uh, common people. You know, what happens when we become so popular mm. and so, like, you know, yeah. uncommon? Right. I mean, are we going to just turn our backs on all the common people, you think? Like know. step on them to get all the way up? I mean, I don't want to make any any declarations that I do or do don't, don't have to keep. Like, I might, I might not. Yeah, I don't that's know. true. I guess we'll see when it happens. Depends on who you are, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll just use that as an excuse to jettison some people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to step on you. I'm going to step on you hard. And I'm going to love it. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to smush your hands <laughs> and all your soft parts. 
as we climb up. That's bad, but it also sounds very not threatening. I'm going to smush your hands, okay? I'm going to touch them real hard and smush them. I pictured pictured us in the hostage situation again, and Amy being like, I'm going to smush your hands. I'm going to do it. And we're like, I have a gun. And like, no, you're not going to no, smush my hands. No, you're not going to smush my hands. And then me being like, what she meant is she's going to crush them beyond recognition. She's just bad at threats. <laughs> I'm just real bad at threats. Didn't mean that she was going to smush him like a sandwich in a cute, fun Smurf kind of way. Smush him like a cartoon I'm character. Just smush him. Smush him up real good. Oh yeah, we're not getting out of that hostage situation alive. No, no, no not a chance. No way. Yeah. Not a chance. Well, I guess so we I say have to we do go it. down swinging. Uh, yeah, I say too. <laughs> <laughs> I say that I let my inner bitch out when I get hangry yeah. and just you know smush some hands, mm-hmm. and then what happens happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So. Agreed. That's something to look forward to. It is. Yeah. The other thing to look forward to is next Wednesday. Yeah. Because we'll be back. We will. So until then. Happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they're coming out of me, and... Talk to me. I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.